Hello and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your co-host, Lamar, and this is my other co-host, Carrie. Hey, how are you? So we just finished a little bit ago um, talking about the beginnings of Noah. We introduced who Noah was, a little bit about him, and this should be the podcast right before this one if you want to look at that. We talked about Noah, and then we talked about him building the ark, and now we're going to get to the flood story itself. And what do we learn out of the flood story? It seems... Well, there's a lot of things to go into, and I'm going to ask you, Carrie. What this does this is this necessary to wipe out everybody, <laughs> save eight souls? I mean, we got to wipe out everybody. I don't know how many people that is, but there's a lot of people there. Yeah, and and this uh, this is one that a lot of people struggle with. Like, okay, that's a whole lot of uh, violence and death for this situation. What do we go? You know, it's funny because for children, it's one of their favorite stories, uh, but what we focus uh, for them is there are a lot of animals. Oh, that's well, cool. yeah, you Animals, get the little, right? you get the yeah. little toy ark and you get, you know, you're in, when you go to the nursery and the, you yeah. march the animals up there and they all get in there. It's a yeah. nice little boat story. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves the animals in the boat part. So that part's fantastic. Right. And we can make jokes about, oh, the unicorns forgot to get on the boat that day. And whatever right, else. right. But the other side of the story is a little bit disturbing, right? Well, uh, it turns out that the reason that was happening is because everyone else and every other animal was getting killed. Like they all died. Um, and that's fairly drastic. Uh, and a lot of people are somewhat disturbed by that. So I think that what we want to do is kind of look at some things that might help us understand that story. And I think that that actually will uh, enable us to better understand a whole lot of things that happen in the Old Testament. Uh, and I think that if I can plug your previous episode, if you haven't listened to Kerry's episode where he's addressing his ward, I don't know what the number is. It's probably two uh, before this or. Yeah. But anyway, change. But anyway, it's, it's, it, I think it's it, like a fireside I did for my ward. Yeah, you've got to listen to that because Kerry sets this up also in there and he covers what's going on in Noah. So as a companion to this one, if you want to know some more, go back to that one. That really sets up the, the covenant people and it starts with Noah. Yeah, yeah. And we'll we'll cover some of that same material here, but go a little bit more into depth and extrapolate it to the rest of the Old Testament more and cover a couple of other ideas and concepts. I think that that you, uh, as you've been a seminary teacher and so on, you've had some ways of helping people uh, uh, just some things to take into yeah. account when you're dealing with things in the Old Testament that, where you say, well, that doesn't make sense, or well, that seems weird to me, or I'm not <laughs> comfortable with that. Yes, that, that's true. So um, just to give you a little bit of, of background on that, uh, I taught the uh, I taught seminary as a, as a volunteer teacher. Yes, an early morning seminary? An early morning seminary. There's right. a special place in heaven for people who teach early morning <laughs> seminary. Yeah, that's what I believe. But You know what? There's a special place for the, pe- the, the kids that go there because yeah. I really have a lot yeah. of respect for those kids that get up there. I mean, I, I'm, I'm already bought into it. I, I bought into it. I, I bought the T-shirt, the whole thing. So I, I'm, in the, I'm in the clan. But these kids, I mean, I know that some of their, their parents poke and prod them to go there. But, you know, give it up for these kids who are going out there and just, you know, and, and some of them are really learning. And yeah. I, I say some of them, there's a lot of them that really learn. And I've watched my class, class, at, class as, because there was more than one, they grew and the things that they learned and shared with me afterwards is really fantastic. But let me tell you, starting some of these things in the Old Testament, you read part of this Old Testament and these kids' jaws are <clears throat> just hit the floor. Like they did what? He said what? He killed who? Well, yeah. I, you know. There's some of these things that are hard to understand. And I got thinking about this one night and I was like, how do I explain this to them? And this little thought came in my head and I don't know, maybe it's part of me being a comedian, but things come in alliterations to me, you know? 
So I started thinking about these. Well, first of all, we got to understand the context and the customs were different. And then I had two C's and then the rest of these C words came to my head. And so what I came up, I came up with the four or you can call it five C's. And this is what I call it. These are the things that you, that you need to keep in mind when we're reading the Old Testament, which is most of it, I mean, it happened a long time ago and some of it is not complete. So the first thing, understand the context. And I would say, what is the specific con context of this character's action or a commandment that the character was given? Like think about Nephi. He was given specific things at that time. That's not a blanket. Hey, you can do what Nephi did. Go out and take this and raid the treasury. That's not what he's saying. There's a specific context to that. one. Now in general, uh, let me, let me tell you what the, the C's are. First of all, it's context customs, culture, covenants or commandments, and then completeness. Mm. That's, that's what, the, what, what we're talking about here. So context, customs, culture, covenants and commandments that go together and completeness. So first of all, we got to understand the five context. Or is it six C's? You're confused. Well, it is. Yeah. I was just covenants, trying to take the comedian I, role. Never mind. I, I, I'll, no, I'll, no, no, no. You did good. No, you're right, though. It's covenants and commandments. I, I love this in one C, but they're actually... All right, it's six seats. The seats are going the, like the, crazy. The, the five and a half seats. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> five, but what, what, what we need to do is get to seven seats, <laughs> is what I, my understanding we is. So, yeah. Dang, well, yeah. I, I, that was right there. Why did I get yeah. that? <laughs> I should have seen that. I'm going to have comedian you today. <laughs> but anyway, so the, we understand the context of what the character is doing. There's certain things that are specific to what they're doing sometimes. Other times, the general, we got to understand the customs of the day. Um, customs vary from time to time and even place but if you go to the middle east right now there's a lot of customs that are not right. all that different from when they you lived there for what three and a half years uh two and two and a half years in israel and then uh if you were to combine all the time i've spent in egypt that's probably another year and a half something like yeah. that so, yeah okay so almost four years over there so so if you think about it, the customs over there are, are different they have different customs and that's so culturally accepted over there which is the next part which is culture Culture and customs kind of go the same. So customs, culture is downstream of customs. You might, you have customs in your family, like you have a, a, something that you've done, a tradition that, that turns into a regular thing. We can call that a custom. Then customs turn into cultures. And the culture of this area, again, closely related to customs, it, what seems weird to us may not be, I mean, there's certain things. We don't eat dogs, for instance, but in some cultures, eating of dogs is not a bad thing. Yeah. So, yeah, and there are a I'm lot not, of things about LDS culture that a lot of other people find just really odd. I, I oh, uh, agreed. You, you, anytime you get a group of people together, you will start create, creating some kind of culture, whether that's a college life or, or a church life or uh, a, a bridge. You have a bridge club or a, a retirement community. You're going to start getting a culture around that because people start expecting other people to act in certain ways. Yeah. And that's where you get culture from. And so we got to understand what, what culture these people are coming from. So sometimes that seems so far removed from what we would do today, but it's not a bad or good or a bad thing. It's just the way the culture assumes. Now we might think today, oh, that's horrible culture. Okay, maybe, but understand the characters when they come through this, this is where they're coming from. Yeah. So covenants, commandments, there are certain covenants, commandments, some people have not. Um, I, I, the anti-Nephi-Lehi has come to mind, right? So here's a group of people who have done so poorly in their earlier part of their life. They've done a lot of bad things and they're so remorseful that they're not going to even defend their own lives because they made a covenant to bury their weapons in the earth and they're not touching them. 
even if to defend themselves and their families, they're not going to do it. Now, is, is, that, is that a pacifist culture? Should we all be like that? I don't think that's what it's saying. That's a covenant and a commandment that those specific people took upon themselves. Mm. And later on, their children said, hey, we are not our parents, so we are, gonna, we are going to protect ourselves. And those are not conflicting covenants or commandments. It's just the right. specific covenant that those people are under. Okay, so we understand that the covenants and commandments might differ from time to time depending. And the last thing I'll say is completeness. And a lot of things we know now or that we read in the Old Testament are fragments of a larger story. We're, right. getting, we're getting a story that's been you know, referenced to or referred to or you're getting a snippet of it or whatever, but you're not getting the whole thing. And sometimes it's a document is not complete. And that's all the way up to the Doctrine and Covenants. Same thing, even though yeah. that only happened 100 years ago. There are some things that we take from a journal from this person or from Joseph Smith or from one of his scribes or whatever. And we're like, wait, what happened? I don't, I don't get that. I only got part of that. So sometimes it's not complete. So anyway, um, just kind of keep those things in mind as you, uh, I should probably post them somewhere so someone can look at them and then criticize me. Tell me that I'm a moron, but try, that's try and remind me, and I'll put them in the notes for the yeah. Uh, okay, if I can remember yeah, that, I'll, but. I'll put them and try to put them in. So people look down below or in the notes and tell me if I miss some C's and if we should have seven. Dang it, I could have done seven. <laughs> seven anyway, that's my that was kind of my just little cliff notes of what to remind the the young people that were reading this um, to not be so freaked out about some of these. So this, this isn't. Like you hear other people that are not typically religious or whatever talk about, oh, the Bible is so violent. Well, history is violent in some respects, but yeah. remember again what's happening here and what we're teaching. So take away the spiritual principles from this and other things will fall into place. Don't be too freaked out about some stuff or, or at least take it with a grain of C. Yeah, <laughs> there you go with a grain of C. I like a that. grain of C. I don't know. Yeah. I just made yeah. that up. That's good. Uh, whatever. Okay. That's really good. And and you're right. I mean, uh, I mean, this may be a stupid example, but uh, because it's fictional, but I, I things that freak out some people don't freak out others, right? And so we'll have people, young people, who are freaking out about stuff in the Old Testament. But if you were to take them, I always think of uh, Marty McFly when he gets <laughs> on the guitar, right? Right. And and uh, that's totally normal in his culture, which was my culture. I grew up in the 80s. Right. Oh, um, yeah. But in that uh, 50s culture, they were like, what in the world is going on? That's just a little bit crazy. Uh, oh, right? and, a, a real life example of that. He When he started doing that next drumming thing, which was kind of developed by Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, I had the same thing. I was listening to this song called Eruption from Eddie Van Halen. It's just it's all guitar, just guitar. But my mom's like, what kind of noise is that? That's yeah. terrible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's genius. He's. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, uh, and and so you know, there, there's a little bit of a culture shock for everyone, and that's uh, that's worth knowing. There are things that we do in our culture that they would be horrified at, right? Oh yeah, um, oh for sure. And so, uh, I think that's really important for understanding the the flood. Uh, so let's look at uh, some of the seas in the flood story, if that's all okay. right. And let, we'll start out. I mean, they all interact with each other. I love your, your all these seas. And the, the, there's a chicken and an egg question. Like, so you could say, is is custom or culture? I think context kind of 
determines in some ways both custom and culture, but it's a little bit of a chicken and egg. They, they all interact with each other. They right? all overlap. Yeah, they all so, overlap. So as we, we look at this story, I think that we'll, we'll see some of that overlapping, but let's look at the context. And sometimes we forget the whole context of the flood story. So uh, it's in both Genesis and Moses, but we get a couple of details in the Moses account that I want to, um, to highlight. So if we go to Moses, and actually, interestingly, we get a lot of this information, not from the account about Moses, which is Moses chapter eight, but mm-hmm. from Moses seven, the vision that Enoch sees about, oh, uh, about Noah. So I just said Moses's day. So we get a lot of it, not from Noah's day, which is Moses chapter eight, but from Enoch's day where he sees a vision about Noah. And, and it's interesting. So um, let's just read a couple of, of little places uh, where we can uh, look into this. So we're in Moses chapter seven, verse 33. Um, and it says, and unto thy brethren have I said, and also given commandment that they should love one another and that they should choose me. Right. So that's, that's the, we talk about the two great commandments and the covenant and so on, love God and love our neighbor. That's what he's saying. But behold, they are without affection and they hate their own blood. So, so think about that. Your own yeah. blood typically means your family, right? Right, right. So if you have no affection and you hate everyone in your family, just think about the kind of family life that's, that's describing. All right. But it's going to get worse um, because if I can find where it, I don't, um, uh, darn, I don't remember where it is right now, but there's a part where it talks about that they're just lifted up in the, the evil imaginations of their, their uh, hearts continually. And oh. so if you put those two together, do you, do you yeah. see where that is? I don't know. Why um, I, 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 can th- find I that, just, but. I just saw it. Amy, go ahead. I'll, I'll find it. Um, when you put those two together, think about someone who is doing nothing but, but thinking of bad stuff they can do. And they're in a family where there's no love and they hate each other. And you think of the kinds of things that will happen in that kind of a family, right? The kinds of physical, emotional, sexual abuse that will be a regular part of everybody's life. And the way that that gets proliferated when you have generations of doing this. Right, they're described as being the most wicked generation ever on the earth. We have a couple of generations that are described that way. So these these are people who all reach maximum velocity of wickedness. I like to say that you just can't get more wicked than that. But um, but uh, I mean these are these are pretty terrible things. Uh, they end up wanting to kill Noah, right? So again, think of the kind of suffering that all mankind, seemingly everyone but Noah and his family, all mankind is going through this kind of suffering uh, with all this kind of abuse and murder and intrigue and, uh, and so on and so on. I mean, it's a horrible situation. And when John Taylor talks about this, he talks about, think of the, the souls in heaven who were about to come down. So put yourself in that situation. Maybe you're the one who's going to be born into a family where, oh, look, I have no options. Every yeah. family I go, I could be born into, I'm going to experience abuse. Um, I'm going to, to have all these terrible things happen to me. Uh, that's, that doesn't seem like a good right or fair situation, does it? You, yeah. Th- these people have no option of having a good outcome in their life. Like I think yeah. of Sodom and Gomorrah had a very similar, yeah. um, very similar uh, uh, descriptions of them, uh, of how the people act. So yeah, that's, Great. Okay. Now that, that brings up another point. So it's, I mean, I talked about that. I'm sure there was uh, sexual abuse. I'm sure there was emotional abuse. I'm sure there was physical abuse, but, but there was also undoubtedly a tremendous amount of violence. And that just brings up an idea in general. 
Um, we at least, uh, those of us in kind of uh, Western European and um, these days even Eastern European, so European and um, uh, American culture, uh, especially North America, but really it's, it's spreading more and more. We live in a very sanitized culture. Yes. We don't see that much violence. There are pockets where you do see violence. There are people who are growing up seeing a lot of violence and nasty violence, but most of us don't see that much violence, even to the point where we have no idea how uh, how our food gets to us. But our food <laughs> gets true. to us through violence, right? Let's just be clear about that. Well, yeah. I met a guy the other day who wouldn't touch raw, raw meat. He's never touched raw meat. He doesn't plan on ever touching raw meat. He just wants people to have already given him cooked food because that's that's too close to the violence for him, right? And I just think, wow, what a sanitized world we live in, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, right? Where I grew up on, uh, well, not on a farm, but my... my um, my uncles and my grandpa had dairies and beef cattle and things like that. And, and my dad had grown up in that environment. So he wanted, he had us just for the experience, raise chickens that were kind of pets for it. And then we killed and, and plucked and, and ate the chickens, right? Just so we'd have that kind of an experience to understand how all of this works. But I think most people don't get that. Um, but besides the, just the, the violence uh, of what it takes to be able to eat, uh, to, to be able to survive right and and it sounds like it's a negative thing it's not that's a normal thing this is what life is like if you want to if you want to really experience violence go be an animal right oh I yeah mean, yeah the cycle of life for animals is far more violent than it, uh, what we are comfortable with right people if they really they edit this stuff out of nature shows now but if you really watch what's going on in, in a lot of these i mean the, it's pretty nasty stuff animals killing and eating each other but that's how life works right yeah so, oh that's true um so uh but it's true in person to person violence as well uh i would say in most of the biblical uh era most people have had war affect them in some way they've seen people die in violent ways um they've seen uh nasty stuff happen to everyone uh, violence is just much more a part of life than it is for us. And, and so when they experience violence or they do these, these things that seem so weird to us, that's because we live in a weird bubble of time. Honestly, it's, it's normal for them. Now I'm not saying, okay, then that means we should all go start experiencing violence as much as possible. Right. No, I actually I want to avoid it, but, but right. it's, it's more normal for them. Um, now I, I, in a way that's sad, the people in Noah's day, are experiencing a lot of violence because there's, I'm sure there's raping, pillaging, wars, all sorts of stuff, raiding and so on. And we get that throughout the Bible. I, I would rather that our, our Israelite ancestors had not had Assyrians coming in and invading them and other and Canaanites and different uh, raiding uh, ventures going on all around them, but they did, right? And and uh, so we're looking forward to the millennial day when uh, wolf and, and uh, lamb will sit down with each other and be happy and that kind of thing, but that's not where we're at. And they're even less so there. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Human culture is messy to begin with. It's not all yeah. nice and neat like we think it is, but this is not just messy. These people are, are wicked. It, there's a difference between messy and wicked. Messy is yeah. like, oh, I made a mistake. I mixed up. I messed up, whatever. Wicked is like, I'm going to intentionally do stuff to where yeah. you just can't make heads or tails of what's going on. You know, you look at our culture today, you're like, when did we start making that jump? Man, I don't want to get there, but sometimes I wonder. Yeah. Yeah, and I th I'm sure that it is part of the culture in Noah's day that there's a lot of this really wicked, terrible uh, violence and depravity in a lot of other ways, right? Yes. It's so much so that when Noah starts to preach the, the gospel to them, 
they want to kill him. So that's another element that we have to take into account. Uh, and, and if you search the scriptures for a pattern, one pattern is that God doesn't like it when you kill his prophets. This is never going to work out well for you. Yeah. So um, I sent you a messenger and you killed him. Not, yeah. not good. Yeah, because actually he represents me, right? That's, that's right. That's, that's one issue um, there. Uh, we also miss, but you get this in Moses chapter 8, that Noah preaches for 120 years. Yeah, that's, that's a long time. plenty of chance to repent, right? That's a long mission. Yeah, that is a long mission. And, and, and it, you know, God is giving them a lot of chances to repent more chances to repent than any of us are going to experience in a lifetime, right? I mean, we're, we're not, I don't know anyone that's lived to 120 years old. So uh, that's a, that's a lot of opportunity to repent that they're, they're not going to, or that they're not taking advantage of. Right. Right. So at some point, the Lord, they've gotten to the point where they're not going to change. He's given them the opportunity to change and everyone who is going to change has changed and no more efforts by the Lord are going to produce something different. And so uh, all they, that God can do is now say, okay, well, then we're just going to let this world continue on in wickedness ad infinitum, uh, and children are just going to go down and experience that misery, or we do something different. Right now, I don't know about you. My children are, are close to perfect. Yours are probably perfect. Mine are close to perfect. But every now <laughs> and then, there were times where things didn't go right. Right. And as a, as a parent, I've had this situation where you, everyone just got in the mood and they were just going at it and going at it and going, and you tried, let's try this to fix it. Let's try that to fix it. Da, 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 and it's not fixing. And you just have to reset. And you, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever had these times that I've had, say, okay, everyone is going to their room. And unfortunately you share a room and you share a room. You, so you, you're going to go to just these different places in the house and you're just going to have a while where you're not doing anything with each other and you're not really doing anything. And just let's reset. Let's calm down. Right. And I, and uh, to be honest, I don't like it. And sometimes you have to punish your children to get them to stop doing this. You know, you won't stop hurting your sister. And this is going to be the consequence. I tried taking this away. I tried this, I tried time out and you're still hurting your sister. We're going to have to get more serious to get you to stop hurting your sister. Right. And I hate it as a parent. I don't mm -hmm. like being in that position. It's my least favorite thing, really. Right. Right. And I think but that's the, what we're reading about God. Well, exactly. Sorry. But the punishment is in a, in a way, an act of love. We should That's be right. punishing. We should be punishing out of uh, not, not out of anger, but out of changing a behavior. Yeah. You're trying to change that. And hopefully behavior. then a heart, hopefully. Right. You, you, they have to be, they have to understand the severity of what's going on, especially when you have like little children who yeah. don't understand, you know, that going out on the street is really, really dangerous. So you right. might really, you know, tell that, yell at that kid or, you know, get back over here or what, or don't you ever leave, you know, you might have that kind of in your mind, but it's, that's not a punishment out of being punitive. It's not to punish like in a mean way, that is a punishment out of love, which by the way, well, well, I'll let you go over there, but that's, that's what we're trying to get. This is a punishment born out of love, not out exactly. of, uh, uh, out of anger. Yeah. Well, it's uh, anger in a, an interesting way, but we'll, we'll get to that. So yeah. I, right. uh, uh, you're right. Anger, so, there's different. It's, this isn't yeah. just out of control. I, I'm on a tear. Right. I'm going right. to bust stuff up. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I can think of times where I felt like, okay, for whatever reason, this child has, has made a habit of hurting this other child. And for the sake of both children to protect the child that's being hurt, 
and to get this child to be the kind of person that doesn't go around hurting people, which is for their own good, <laughs> we right. need we need to do something here. What's going right? on in your family, Carrie? Let's yeah. talk about that. Well, this, <laughs> this was many years ago, right? So, uh, uh, and and I think it's I mean I could be wrong, but I think uh, often young boys just have uh, have a, a period where they just kind of feel like, hey, I want to I, I want to show I'm in charge or whatever, and and uh, that includes being physical, right? But anyway. yeah, boys have a built-in aggression. It's true. Yeah. The girls so, get back different ways, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> so I think we see that with God here. If you, if you look at, um, we're in Moses chapter seven. So again, this is Enoch describing, uh, Noah's day in this vision that he has. And we've just read in verse 33, where we read that they're without affection and they hate their own blood. So it's seemingly as a result of that in verse 34, and the fire of my indignation is kindled against them. And in my hot displeasure will I send in the floods upon them, for my fierce anger is kindled against them. That's pretty wrathy stuff. I don't know how you can be more wrathy than that verse. That right? sounds like angry. Three times he says, this is what I'm going to have to do because do and it, it does describe a kind of feeling. Now, it's interesting. I mentioned this in that other podcast, but but in Jeremiah, talks about being merciful and keeping anger, right? Anger is an action he has to do. Uh, mercy is what he is. But um, but he's going to have to do this. But if we s- skip down just a couple of verses, um, let's read verse 36 and 37. They're really touching to me. Wherefore, I can stretch forth mine hands and hold all the creations which I have made, and mine eye can pierce them also. And among all the workmanship of mine hands, there has not been so great wickedness as among thy brethren. So that's that part I talked about, right? That's that maximum velocity of wickedness. I'm going to but, turn this world around right now. We are going to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Don't, don't make me come back there. Um, <laughs> so he is. He's turning the world around. That's exactly that's right. right. That's exactly right. Going back home. I was joking, but I was actually. But it's actually serious. serious. Yeah, it, it is does. right. But behold, their sin shall be upon the heads of their fathers. Satan shall be their father and misery shall be their doom. I think he's describing this is just the naturally what's happening because of where they're at. This is where they're at. Misery, doom, and Satan are where they're at. Now the, the next line. And the whole heavens shall weep over them, even all the workmanship of mine hands. Wherefore should not the heavens weep, seeing these shall suffer. And elsewhere, uh, Enoch has witnessed him weeping, weeping and saying, how can, how can you weep? You're, you're God. How can you weep? And this is God's answer. Of course I'm going to weep. They're suffering. They're suffering because of what they've done, and they're going to suffer because of what I have to do. And I hate it. Right? I think God is saying, this causes me pain and sorrow that I have to do this, but this is what I have to do for their own good and for the good of others who are going to come down. Right? I'm going to protect the future generations and I'm going to protect these people from themselves. And it's painful for them. Thus, it is painful for me. I think that's the God we're reading about. He weeps over this. Right? And in fact, Agreed. I love this. But this might be it's one of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture. It's a beautiful verse. If we go to verse 40, and then 41 is a verse that I really love. But 40 sets it up. Wherefore, for this shall the heavens weep, yea, and all the workmanship of mine hands. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Enoch and told Enoch all the doings of the children of men. Wherefore Enoch knew and looked upon their wickedness and their misery and wept and stretched forth his arms and his heart swelled wide as eternity and his bowels yearned and all eternity shook. 
it, it seems to me that for a moment, God allowed Enoch to feel about his children and the misery they were going through, both because of what they've done and what he's going to do, but to feel the misery they're going through the way God feels about it. And when Enoch felt that way, the description is his heart swelled wide as eternity, his bowels yearned, and all eternity shook. That's the depth of feeling that God has for us and for these people who he is about to destroy. Uh, and, and we need to keep that in mind when we read the destruction, that, that context, right, the counterimage, this is difficult for God. But I love your story about the completion, right? We have to read the whole story. And most of the time in the Old Testament, when we encounter something that seems crazy, we don't read the whole story, right? We encounter, oh, the Assyrians destroyed the, the northern kingdom. Well, remember, God is going to bring them back, right? That's the whole story. May take right. 2,500 years, but that's the whole story. So the whole story in here also takes thousands of years because what happens is when, when God kills all of these people and starts over, and thus we have a righteous family and we can get righteous children coming into the earth and they have a chance for righteousness and so on and so on, and the covenant, covenant is reestablished and all these beautiful things. In the meantime, what happens to these people who are destroyed? Well, for us, because we're mortals and we don't remember pre-mortality and we have no clue about post-mortality, we have a clue. Maybe that's it. We have a clue, but we know very, very little. Mortality is a really, really big deal. For God, it's a, it's a blip in time. It's an important blip in time, but it's a blip in time, right? Right. So when these people die, that's not the end for them. They go to the spirit world. And we know specifically from the scriptures that when Christ is, is dead and his body is in the tomb and his spirit goes to the spirit world, he goes to the people who died in the flood. And he organizes missionary work there and he gives them another chance. Now that's comforting in a couple of ways. One, this is the most wicked group ever, right? And they're still getting another chance. That tells right. me something. God's never done. He wasn't done with them. No, no, he's not. He was going to give them another chance. And so it feels to me, it's a little bit like we were talking about before when you send your children to the room, right? Go to your room. I'm not having any more success working with you in this situation. So I'm sending you to your room. You're going to cool off. I'm going to come talk with you a little bit later. And that's exactly what happens. It's several thousand years later, <laughs> right? Um, which for God is not a long time. Not. Um, but he sends them to their room, gives them a chance to settle down, and then he goes and tries to get them to change yet again. So that this destruction is not quite what we think it is. It really is just moving from one room to another, from one realm to another, so that God can continue to work with you and continue to give you another chance. And I find that beautiful. That's the whole story, right? I hadn't really thought of that in this context, but you're right. And I had to mark it while you were talking about it. I hadn't even marked this, but I had to mark the, the, what you said there. His heart swelled wide as eternity. Well, that's the scale he's working on. His heart swelled wide mm. as eternity. So it's not just killing in this life. If you die or, or, or were killed or were wiped out or whatever, it's not for this life. It's wide as eternity. That's right. Yeah, and I love that phrase. I hadn't even thought of saying it that way before, but I love what you said. This is the scale that God is working on. Right. right. And we need to keep that in mind for all of the stories that we read that God is going to continue to work with people and give them another chance. He's just working on the eternity scale. I, I like this, this. He's working on the eternity scale rather than on the mortality scale. So we can get weird stories like, and, and so we're going to combine a couple of things, uh, these C's that you're talking about. One of the, the, the cultures, cultural elements of Israel, and I talk about this, as you said, in that fireside I did, is they're really into symbols and symbolic action. 
right? So it, let's look at a couple of, of uh, other stories that may seem crazy or difficult to us. We have the story that we usually skip over, but the Israelites are commanded not to take in when they destroy Jericho. So we'll come back to the whole Canaanite thing in just a minute, but they destroy Jericho. They're not supposed to take any of their stuff. If they do, it's an accursed thing. Well, one person does. And the next time Israel goes to battle, God doesn't help him. He says, well, you didn't do what I said. Um, you, you, someone kept this stuff. So they figure out who it is and he's stoned to death, right? He's, yeah. He's killed, yeah. which seems like we're like, whoa, that's crazy. Well, first of all, we have to understand that the Israelites to say that was naughty is, is not going to work. They need a symbolic action that is definite. And God is really trying to be clear. If you partake of this culture, it will be your spiritual death. It will destroy you spiritually. And so let's use a, borrow a phrase from elsewhere in scripture. It is better that that one man should perish or should die yes. than that the entire nation perish and dwindle in unbelief, in unbelief because they start to partake of this culture. And so God is going to use this symbolic action to both literally get rid of the, the uh, offense, but to show people this is this is spiritual. It's symbolic of how this is spiritual death for you if you partake of this culture. But we have to remember for Achan, I mean, you feel kind of bad for Achan, Matt, and he got killed because he did that. Right, right. But on the that's in the mortal scale. On the eternal scale, God said, okay, Achan, let's put you in another room. I'm going to let you settle down. I'm going to give you another chance. Okay. Well, I, I love this because this is, I, I said this many, many times, is, and I, there's a, there's probably many people that have quoted this, but there's a quote that is that there are worse things for man than death. Yes. And, and, and I've said that many times and I have a story. I don't know if I'd get into it now. It's there's, I have a story about someone, one of my friends who had a terrible, terrible experience, but through that experience, she understood that, that it's not just about this life. There's more than this life. And as, and as horrible as things can be in this life, and they can be really bad. And I'm not taking away anything from someone suffering or a group of people suffering or wars of the atrocities that have happened. I'm not taking anything away from those experiences. Agreed. But again, we have to see the Lord works on eternal scales. And so without denigrating any of those stories or anybody's feelings, let's put it in context that the Lord is working on a, on a bigger grander scale and when someone comes and says oh that you know the old testament is so so negative and so you know look it's he's working with a certain set of people and those people need a certain uh set of teachings and sometimes they don't get it here no you yeah know? sometimes they're going to get it best they're, they're at the point where they're not going to respond anymore here they're going to respond somewhere else Right. And that's what we learned with the Canaanites. So this is another element that people seem to struggle with where Israel, and, and so we'll get to this later, but this, I mean, there are just so many examples um, in the scriptures that it's worth just dealing with this context, uh, this whole idea now, and we can come back to it again when we get to the Exodus, but I think that there'll be so okay. many other things to talk about with the Exodus that we probably won't. So let's, let's <laughs> just deal with it now. Um, when they come out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, they're told to destroy everyone and everything Every, everything yeah everything Cattle, Not, don't uh, partake of that yeah that's right yes. every man man woman bunny and pig right <laughs> right uh, and possessions everything, everything. they yeah. burn the treasure the house everything yeah, and, and, and what God is trying to say and not just say but make literally happen is that culture is so toxic for you that if you partake of it in any way 
it will lead to your spiritual death. And right. Israel does not completely destroy it. They do partake of it, and it does lead to their spiritual death. And we're still in the cycle of God trying to fix that. Right? We're still, he's still in the midst of fixing that problem because right. they didn't do it. Right. So that's that's the scale of the problem. He's serious about this. This is a big problem. But we have to again look at if if we when we get to Genesis, I think it's in Genesis 12, I can't remember, but it might be 17, somewhere in there. God tells Abraham, okay, look, you're, yeah, you're in the promised land right now, but I'm not actually fully giving it to you yet or to your seed yet. They're going to have to go into Egypt, and it's going to be 400 years later that I give it to them because this land's not ready yet. We combine that with what we learn in 1 Nephi 17 when, when Nephi is talking to his brothers, and he says that the Canaanites were being destroyed because they, had, they were wicked, they were ripe in wickedness, and they had rejected every word of God when God was trying to get them to repent. So we put those two together, and, and it paints a picture of that God, for 400 years, tried to work with the Canaanites to get them to repent, to get them to change, to get them to not become that toxic culture. But they didn't. Right. They didn't change. 400 years, that's patience. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what that is in God and man time, but I know I've never given my kids the, the equivalent of 400 years for anything to change. And, and uh, th that's more about me than anything else. But, but God is patient 400 years and they haven't changed. And so now in order to save Israel and thus the rest of the world, because Israel's job is to go out and save the rest of the world um, from their toxic culture. And I'm sure there were a lot of great and nice things about their culture, right? I, I mean, I, I can read things oh, yeah. about some Canaanites and there were some nice things, but there were some elements of it that were spiritually toxic. To, in order to save Israel from that, God was going to, like the people in the days of the flood, take them from one room and put them in another. It's violent. Um, and, and we can talk about the effect this has on the Israelites, and I'm sure it is a difficult effect, though probably not the same effect we would have because, again, they're, they're, violence is much more part of their life. They're, they're more used to this than we are. Um, we're far more easily traumatized by it than they are. But, um, but I'm sure it had an effect on them that wasn't a, a, a positive effect. Uh, right. and, and only the atonement of Christ and Christ rising with healing in his wings can undo that, but he can. Um, but... Uh, the the uh, it's 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 large scale and yet still what it really is is god saying i did everything i could with you here let's send you to your room settle you down and i'm going to work with you again after that and that's a that that whole story that so both the context we've got context we've got culture there um and, and customs and then this kind of completion idea helps us make sense of these stories and it will help us make sense of all sorts of things in, in the old Testament where we just go, Whoa, that was crazy. Um, and, and if we'll stop and look at it, it's not, if we look at the eternal scale, it's not as crazy as we think. Right. And I like it also, as far as the word completeness in, in the, in the seas that we're talking about, what's good about what we have now is if you just had the old Testament to look at, you miss some important context, but what Moses seven, I, I, I've, uh, just in the course of you talking the last couple of minutes have come to really like, I, I hadn't even really pointed it out before uh, verse 41 and how awesome that is. Yeah. Uh, what an insight it is into, into God's mind. And why was Joseph Smith? Why did he bring a, a copy of what we already have in Genesis? Well, because of this, He's, yeah. There's some things that are incomplete, and we need to understand some completeness if we're going to get 
get an idea of what the mind of God is on, on these things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah well, thanks I, I for would that. suggest That's a great we can we can apply that to these stories we've talked about. I think God wept, and his heart oh. stretched wide as eternity when he killed Achan, uh, or when they killed Achan. I think as he's having instructing, can you imagine being the parent that is instructing some of your children to destroy others of your children? Right. Oh, I think God yeah. wept and his heart stretched wide as eternity, but it's what he needed to do for all of their sake. And he had a plan in place where they can just on that eternal scale, have another opportunity and, and be changed and, and sanctified and become holy. All of that is still on the table and is still in process and is still happening. Uh, it's not ever the end of the story when we read that someone dies. And, and, and we, I mean, this sounds trite, but let's keep this in mind as well. Everybody dies. Right. Everyone right. dies. So if the, these people that we're reading about, and again, I don't want to trivialize things, but the average life expectancy at this time is like 30 something. Oh, so if someone that? died at, yeah, yeah. Now some are living for longer. Yeah, we just went less. from people living seven, 800 years, six, yeah. seven, 800, 900 years. Yeah. And now we're down so to 30. So I guess I can't say for sure at, at the days of Noah. All right. I'm talking about um, in like the days of the Canaanites and so on. And we don't know for sure for then, but we can tell from uh, a, not that much later time periods. Uh, that's what we're looking at. And some live a lot longer, uh, but part of the reason that it's such a short life expectancy is because we have a lot of child and infant death. But oh, even yeah. so, if you survive 15, your odds are you're going to get to somewhere between 30 and 40 and not over that. And, and so, I, I mean, again, I'm not trivializing this, but if someone dies at 20 instead of 30, that absolutely feels tragic to us. And I'll tell you, if my, I have a, you know, some a three kids in their 20s right now, if they died, it would consume me. It would be so tragic to me. Um, but on that eternal scale, the difference between dying at 20-something and 30-something is pretty small when compared with the, the spiritual consequences and the spiritual death or life that we're talking about and that is the real purpose, right? The real purpose is not physical life. It's spiritual life. Right, right. The, that, again, we get to the physical death versus spiritual death. And if you're listening in your Sunday school classes, that's the worst thing. What's the worst thing to death is spiritual death. Be separated from God forever is a problem. Yeah. It's a little bit of a bump in the road of eternity to have things happen here. And again, not trivializing at, no. at all, but, but in the grand perspective, eternity is a really long time. Yeah. And if you were separated from God for eternity, that's an issue. Yeah. And I, I mean, Again, I, I'm not trying to say there are people who are on uh, have chronic suffering that they'll go through for the rest of their life, and that's that's real, and I can't even imagine that. And I watched, you know, my father had Parkinson's. I watched him with it. My mother has dementia. These are things that once you get them, they're, they're yours for the rest of your life, and that's yeah. debilitating. But at the same time, I will say that there are lots of things where, at the moment, I thought this is the most incredible, painful thing. That now, 20 years later, I look back and I think, yeah, that wasn't that big a deal. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it was tough at the time, but I'm glad I went through it. It's made things better for me, and, it, and it's gotten me where I am now, and I'm happy about that. And it was short uh, term at the time. So while this is really difficult, all the things we're going through right now really, truly are difficult. There will be a time in the eternities where we say, uh, I'm glad I, I, I got through that, but it, it, let's, let's move on, right? It wasn't that big a deal. You know, I call it skin and knees. And sometime maybe I'll tell you about this really horrible experience that happened to my friend because there's, a, there's an upside to it. But it was just, it's a horrific, horrific thing that happened to her. And as I was listening to her tell me this years ago, I thought about my daughter, who at the time was 
I think four years old. And I thought, you know, I, the other day she fell and she skinned her knee and she screamed like it was the end of the world. Yeah. Like, but you know, me as a parent, while I was fully invested in the moment and like trying to calm her down and let's get your knee fixed up. I was aware of her pain and I felt bad for her. And you want to to help it. uh, Oh yeah. And I did. And and you're, and you're very conciliatory and, you know, helping out. But I knew that that was not a life threatening injury of that skin. I've had this, but her in her four-year-old life, I was like, Oh, this is the end of the world. And again, I don't know. I've, we've said it 27 times, but I I don't want to make it sound like it's not something that's important. It is important that we have suffering life, but in the eternities, you can't imagine the scale uh, the difference between a physical hurt, a death or something like that versus the attorneys. It's, it's not on the same scale. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's the part of the challenge that we have in this life is you know, pilgrims in a strange land is what we are. But in this strange land, we are trying to look at this short, small, small picture that we have, this short scale that we have and, and fit it into what we know is a much larger scale and larger picture, but we don't have the rest of the scale or the picture. And that's right. difficult. That's difficult. And that's what requires faith. So anyway, hopefully that helps us make part of some of this story. I know you had, uh, there were some other elements of the story we wanted to look at, but I hope it make, helps us make sense, not of just of this part of the story, but of the Old Testament in general. And, and really, honestly, the New Testament and the Book of Mormon has plenty of this stuff to go through. Sure. Oh, yeah. I, all the scriptures have this kind of thing. And so I, I guess what we're hoping is that we give some people some context to look at, something to help them connect with this. Because sometimes the, the, the Old Testament can seem so far removed from it. It, just, it doesn't read like the Doctrine and Covenants or the Book of Mormon, not even the New Testament. It just seems just austere in a lot of ways. I don't know how else to say it. Although it does, I'll say it reads surprisingly like the Book of Mormon, but somehow we're willing to read the Book of Mormon differently than we are this, right? I mean, in the Book of Mormon, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this, but all of the Nephites die. <laughs> I did. All I noticed them. that. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty nasty stuff, actually. Right. Um, yes, and and there, or think about this. There are two times where, well, there's another time where almost all of the Nephites die, right? That right, scene right. where at Christ's death, that's pretty nasty, drastic stuff. Um, it really, really is. Or the stuff that we read about in, in some in of the battles uh, yeah, in Ether or yeah. in Alma and the battles that Captain Moroni is going through and things like that. It's pretty nasty stuff, but somehow we're just willing to read it with a little bit of a, a well, here's the reason I think why, because we're reading it with Mormon as an editor. And Mormons okay, perfect. Yes. willing to say, I don't want to make this too much for them. In fact, he even says that uh, in order, when he's reading about it, writing about his own day, in order to spare my people from, uh, or the reader from knowing all this terrible stuff, I'm not going to tell you the terrible stuff. And then his <laughs> right. son Moroni includes a little bit of it in the letter just to, to, to include some of it, I guess. But, <laughs> but, um, but so we, we still get nasty stuff. It's just filtered through Mormon. Whereas in the Old Testament, we have uh, uh, people who, don't feel that they, and I'm grateful because actually there's a lot we can learn from it. It's nice to get a filtered version, but if we're always in that bubble, we won't learn all that we can. If we get the unfiltered version, it is really important and powerful for us to get the unfiltered version. We just have to be ready to take it. Right. Now, I'm not making an argument that that means you should watch the most graphic movies possible. That is not what I mean. Um, because that's not 
any kind of righteous filter, but but I right. am uh, arguing that the Old Testament can give us opportunities for growth that we're not going to get elsewhere, even though the Book of Mormon and the Old Testament are very, very similar in the, the scale of stories and the kinds of stories we're reading about. There are a couple of important differences. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I think one of the other things is it's, it's written a little, some of the phrases in the Old English, even though, even though the Book of Mormon, we should talk about this some other time. Even though the Book of Mormon is written in an Old English style, Elizabethan type of yeah. uh, a phraseology, it still doesn't have some of the things that are that you go, what I don't, I don't know what's going on. That you have to really dig into the footnotes and the Hebrew words and stuff like that. So, because it, you're right, because Mormon has edited some of that out for us and has told us only a hundredth part of what yeah. he could tell us. So yeah, he's right. given us some good highlights. But perfect. Anyway, great stuff. I really liked uh, like what you what you brought out there. That's that's my lesson for today. My lesson for today is Moses 741. I think it's just one of the most awesome scriptures ever. It is. It which really we, is. My kids go, you say that about every scripture. And it's true. But <laughs> oh, I like them. They, meet, they, they mean different things at different times. To me, so, yeah. yeah. And I go. think we also wanted to talk about the another story that just seems really odd to people. Oh Yeah. You know, I want to talk about this one here. And this is another one where I, I don't want to make, like we talked about Sohar and things like that in, in the previous episode. Um, and I didn't want to make this thing the biggest and most grand, but just as something understanding wise, what's going on here. And this goes to completeness of the story. One of the C's that we talked about completeness and we're going to go, this is after the flood. You want to talk about that now? The, the yeah. After yeah. The flood? Okay. Yeah. So Noah, this is after the flood, things have settled down. They've gone back to a farming ranching life and the waters have evaded. And now, um, He's, let's see, I'm going to go to, this is uh, chapter nine. It's like verse 20. Well, we'll start with 21. So this is an interesting story. So uh, first of all, in verse 18, and the sons of Noah went forth from the ark and there were Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Now they pointed out for a reason. You'll get to it in a second. And these are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. So they've spread out now. This is a little bit of time. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. So, and for people who don't know the key, that this kind of archaic husbandman means like a, a, you're a farmer, you're working the land, yeah. you're working animals. So, yeah, yeah, animals particularly. Husbandman, yeah, has, yeah, yeah it's mostly animals. Animal. Yeah, but he also planted a vineyard. So he's yeah. he's farming, and he's but he planted a vineyard. So what happens when you plant a vineyard? And he drank of the wine and was drunken. Now, just as a side note here, drunkenness is never really spoken of in high regard, but you have to also understand that when people were drinking wine back then, th there wasn't a lot of clean water. And there are some, there's some, uh, you probably know this too, Carrie. there's, there was, uh, there's different um, uh, formulations of wine. Sometimes they mixed it with water and it goes either, either from, you know, it could go straight wine, which they call wine of dark color or strong drink. And then you can mix it with one part water all, all the way up to 19 parts water, one part wine. There's all kinds of different formulations for wine. But when you hear of wine of dark color or prepared in its strength, Bookhorn talks about that, that's usually in a bad way. Now, I don't know what Noah was doing here. Um, purifying water. I don't want to sanitize everything. Yeah. And, and let's also be something. clear, they don't have the same dietary restrictions we have. They're, they, they, that's like, right. Uh, Noah or Moses and Noah could drink wine. And I don't know about Noah, but Moses couldn't eat lobster. I can eat lobster and I don't drink wine. Right. So 
Right. So it's, this is not restricted for them. We should make a note and talk about this at another time because there are some there's some things about this that will tie into uh, the word of wisdom in section 89. But anyway, not to spend too much time, but he drank a wine and was drunken. He was uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his nakedness, of, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backward in and covered his nakedness. Um, then I'm going to jump down to verse 24. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what the younger son had done unto him. And 20, verse 25, and he said, Cursed be Canaan, servants of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Okay, so this seems pretty harsh because Ham it, it goes and he sees his father naked, and then and then Moses, uh, I mean, excuse me, and then Noah says, Oh, you saw me naked, and you're cursed. He doesn't curse him specifically, he curses his son. Mm. And makes them servants of servants. Which is odd, isn't it? Which is odd. It's, 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 so I think that there's more missing. And so I, we've talked about this a little bit before. I had a chance to talk to Hugh Nibley, and we were talking about these themes. And he said, well, you understand what's going on here. And I said, well, he was drunk. And he's like, well, that's not really what happened. And again, he's walking around his library. And he's pulling out books and he's handing things. <laughs> so he says, there's a story from Eleazar, which was one of the one of the, uh, the the great rabbinic rabbis uh, or yeah. rabbinic traditions. Rabbinic anyway, scholars, yeah. Rabbinic scholars, there you go. That's what I was looking for. And well, They call them mages, but anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, so there's more than, he said there's more than happened there. It's not just he sees this. What happens? He said, he, he says, what happened here? He said what was done unto him. Well, what was done unto him? If you look at some of just the, 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 the commentaries on the Bible, they'll say, well, he told his brothers without their naked it still seems like a pretty harsh story what what um what what uh, brother nibley brought out was that what actually happens in this thing is he uncovers a nakedness which is a a, a a euphemism for he took off took off a garment noah was wearing some type of garment and he took it from him yeah. And maybe if it's all right, let's let's phrase this. Yeah. We're saying what actually happened. So that's what Hugh Nibley is saying, what actually happened. We don't know if this is what we, actually we don't happened, know for sure. That's but according right. to this theory that, that uh, Hugh Nibley is putting together and, and we can Correct. discuss that more later. But so quoting Hugh Nibley saying this is what actually happened. That's great. But uh, we don't know. Yeah, but we sure. don't know for sure. He's, yeah. he's saying this is one of the rabbinic traditions is right. this is another thing, just like we don't know for sure what Sohar is actually referring to. But this is one of the things that we we don't know that he's taken this from him, and this is one of the reasons why. Um, again, Brother Nibley's talking about about this this garment he's taken off, and there's this garment referenced in many different places, including the coat of many colors, which reference references a garment which shows his uh, priesthood uh, lineage, yeah. basically. In fact, there are a number of of uh, traditions, Jewish traditions, that hold that the garment that was given to Adam has been passed down through these preachers of righteousness to Noah. And that's actually what's given to uh, Joseph, but it gets lost when it gets kind of destroyed at that point. Although a part survives right. as Captain it, Moroni tells us, but, but anyway, so that, that may be this, this garment that is, was given to Adam may be what is at stake here. Yeah. They're, they're easy to talk. And he, he referenced himself. I'm trying to remember what book that was in now. He, he gave me one of his books that it's referenced in, and I can't think of the book offhand, but anyway, it, it could be, one particular garment that comes all the way from Adam or maybe a copy of, of that yeah. one. But anyway. Yeah, there are different different traditions that hold it differently. Yeah. The coat of many colors, by the way, also translates this way 
colors is not exact translation, yeah. but it referred to a specific garment that gave a lineage. Anyhow, anyway, this is something that, that, that uh, is a possibility of what's happening here. It may not be just a story about like him going, dad's naked, ha ha, you're cursed and your posterity is cursed as to the priesthood. Now, what are they cursed as to? They're cursed as to the priesthood. They are re they're restricted from having the priesthood. They aren't cursed with horns or, or you know, uh, to look like old ladies or any other curses that we'd see in a, in a fairy tale type. They're cursed as to the priesthood. They are servants, to, uh, servants of servants. And that's one of the things we'll learn about Canaan later on, um, what happens to him. Anyway, again, it's kind of a little bit of a side story. We don't know for sure. Um, I wouldn't hang all your gospel knowledge on it. But it's one of these things that we're, it's not quite complete what's going on here, but there's more to the story than just him seeing him naked. Yeah. And in fact, maybe I can expand on that a little bit. And yeah, again, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll emphasize that we really don't know. Um, this is basic. So what, what Hugh Nibley did and what he was particularly good at was pulling like traditions and ideas and nuggets from all sorts of places and putting them together in a way that was cohesive and made sense. And, and I would say that I don't know that this is really the case, but, uh, it, it makes more sense of the story than anything else. So we're, we're putting together a couple of elements of stories. One, this idea that Ham uh, it, it takes this garment. And then we couple that with, um, with things we learn in Abraham chapter one and, and two and so on. And, and that's where you get this phrase cursed in, in regards to the priesthood. That's not in Genesis, but that's in the book of Abraham, right? Right. And it would seem that, that Ham has married someone who for whatever reason, has refused to make the covenant. Uh, I mean, it talks about lineage through which the covenant can't go. But as we look at the book of Moses, and we've just gotten through these chapters in the book of Moses, Moses 5 and so on, and 6 and 7, where we've got these lineages. And I think this is important to understand that Adam and Eve, most of their children decide they will not keep the covenant only one person decides he will keep the covenant. And then we have these lineages through whom the covenant, the priesthood can't go, but that's because they've chosen not to make a covenant as opposed to the lineage that has chosen to make a covenant. So they can have priesthood ordinances. Right. right. Uh, and, and so on. So it would seem that Ham has married someone from the lineage th that has chosen to reject the covenant. Now, does that mean she personally is also rejecting it? And thus she won't let her children partake of it. Maybe. I, I don't know. I really just don't profess to understand enough of that. But for one reason or another, something about this marriage and this person means that Ham's descendants are not going to be able to partake in priesthood ordinances. Now, my guess is either at some point, well, I'm sure at some point they can, uh, but maybe even at some point in that life, if they repented or something, but as it's reading right now, they're not partaking of priesthood ordinances, the way it reads in the book of Abraham's story, right? Right. And so if we put all of those things together uh, the way Hugh Nibley does, then, then we can say, okay, let's suppose this, that Ham's descendants are unable to partake of oh, oh, one other piece I forgot to throw in. Okay. We also learn in, in Abraham that some of Ham's descendants will intentionally try to copy the priesthood. They can't have the priesthood in ordinances, but they will intentionally try to imitate or copy it, right? Right. So then we put all those clues together and it seems like we might have a story where Ham is saying, okay, well, I, here's my father and he's naked. I'm going to, or he's, he's drunk and passed out. I'm going to try to take his garment and, and give, make it so that my children can have imitations or copies of this garment. Right. Right. Which would make sense then why, when Noah wakes up, he's cursing Ham's descendants. If this is the case, and I don't know if it's the case, but if this is the case, then essentially what Noah is saying is Ham, 
you can make all the invitations you want, but they're invitations. These children who are not part of the covenant and are not making covenant ordinances and so on are still not having covenant ordinances. They're still not going to have the true, and and the government represents priesthood ordinances, really, and they're not going to have these true ordinances and, and so on. It's just not going to be available for them given the current situation and the way things are now. Again, I don't pretend to understand why. What it's not, we don't have enough data to say why it's not available uh, to them or anything else, but um, whether or not that's the real story, that the ideas behind it are right. Ham is trying to uh, get something for his children through a false means that they're not getting through a true means. And Noah is going to say that doesn't work. And, uh, and, and I suspect that this whole story with the, the nakedness and garment is somehow tied to that. I don't know for sure, but it makes, it makes more sense to me than other theories that I've heard. Right. And, and it uh, seems like the story is compressed. I'm going to add another C compressed. I anyway, yeah, yeah. it, it might, might compress. We're le- learning. Oh, are we that... to seven now? <laughs> That's I think I don't know, that'd be more yeah. compressed. Yeah. Complete is compressed. Yeah, we're, we're getting a compressed story there because I think there's more to that. This only takes a couple of verses, but probably in all actuality, this takes quite a bit of time to unfold. Yeah. Be- and this is one of the th- reasons why I was excited to talk to you years ago uh, when I first learned that you had, had completed or not completed, but had got a degree in your Egyptian studies. Because I remember learning way back in, uh, in one of my institute classes of all of so many different Egyptian parallels to the church. Like why do these things appear in our church and also are on these temples? You think Joseph Smith went over there and copied them down, but it's been what you said earlier. It is, they, they were counterfeit versions of this. And this is what's funny. Where do they get these counterfeit versions? Abraham talks about it in Abraham, how he goes to teach Pharaoh and Pharaoh recognizes him for some of those things. He recognizes that he's a righteous man. How does Pharaoh recognize him as a righteous man? Some of their symbols and some of their things that they have in common translate over there. And so some of the things we'll find in Egypt, some of their rights are, are going to overlap, which is why we have the book of Abraham, which we talked about before. But anyway, this yeah. is, and where does it come from? Well, if we look in, in Abraham 3, it talks about where after, um, where did he come from is the, the descendants of Ham through Canaan, preserved through Egyptus, settle in the land of Egypt. And again, how how much time we're talking about. We don't know if that's hundreds or thousands of years, whatever that would yeah. be that period of time. But anyway, that's what we have is we have a counterfeit. And how did they get those counterfeits? There yeah. you go. Well, both through um, Noah and Ham, and uh, it would seem they have the opportunity to get some from Abraham as well. Right. Right. And then exactly. there, I mean, there's also, as we look at uh, Joseph Smith, there's probably some indirect influence through Masons who were copying Egyptians and then Joseph Smith draws us. So there's probably a whole bunch of influences going on, but I, I absolutely agree that we should expect, and we do find corrupted uh, echoes of the gospel, at least partially in, in Egypt, at least partially because of this intentional imitation of the things of God. Right. Very yeah, good. It's fun stuff. Yeah. Anyway, just thought of a fun little, fun thing to throw in there yeah. at the end and get you thinking about what other things you can look into in the scriptures. And yep. A lot of speculation, really... but it very well may make sense. And that's, uh, at least it makes the, it makes me think more about what's going on and about these people and what they want and what they're going through. And again, that makes the scriptures more real to me. And, and uh, so whether that story is, is exactly how it happened or not, it's very real to me, the idea that we can either get, get God's power through God's way, or we can try and imitate it and fail. And uh, there's only one way to really 
partake of God's power, and that's his way. And that's whether this speculation is correct or not. The speculation makes that true gospel principle very real to me. Right. There's that uh, story about the sheepfold. You can open the sheepfold, the little area where you pin your sheep on only has one entrance. You can't come in in any other way. You got to go through the door, and that's Christ. So that, yeah. Anyway, so again, not to bring in too many more of these metaphors, but that's, uh, that's great. anyway, I really appreciate it taking the time. I don't know how long this has been, but uh, I should probably start the clock on these. But I've had a fun time talking about this, and I learned some good things um, uh, today out of this, and, and I had a great time. Well, thank you, Lamar. And thanks to our audience. Yeah, like and subscribe and do all the things you can do. I don't know when these are going to come out, but uh, we're really excited to have you along. And if you can comment, if there's an ability to comment or like and share these things with people, we sure love your feedback and input. Uh, and I hope you're getting something out of this. Thank you.